and welcome to The Current Thing with me, Nick Dixon, and today we have another excellent guest. He is my GB News colleague, right-wing comedian and immigrant, it's Nicholas DeSanto. Sorry, Nicholas, I don't know why I had to say that. I just, I thought it'd be funny. Yeah, it, yeah it's kind of all right. Did you say right-wing <laughs> what? I, I, I missed that. Right-wing comedian, that's how you're, you're billed, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, I think everyone, everything checks out. <laughs> everything was accurate. Um, yeah. So, yeah. we've got so much to talk about. So... I thought maybe we could start with your BBC job and the fact that people might not realise you were sort of cancelled from your job at the BBC because of your dangerous comedy. Is that right? Um, in, in, in a way, yeah. Um, I was given, let's put it this way, I was given a choice between continuing to do my comedy or continue uh, my job at the BBC. Um, so... There were repeated occasions in which they told me, do not do this. So first I get a, a couple of warnings. And at some point I got a final written warning uh, in a big disciplinary case uh, in which, uh, believe it or not, uh, I was uh, accused of being simultaneously, and this is kind of topical, pro-Israeli and also pro-Nazi in my comedy. <laughs> And, that and, makes sense. I, was, I thought you were going to say pro-Israeli and pro-Palestine. No, no, no. Pro-Israeli. Well, uh, yeah, it was Because I've been attacked for that. I've been attacked for being too pro-Israel and then for supporting Andrew Tate, who supports Palestine. So I've managed yeah. to get a one-star review for both of those. <laughs> we mainly have five-star reviews, but I've managed to get two one-star reviews for being on either side. But you were, you were pro-Nazi, pro-Israel and a transpho. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was even actually longer than that. I was also... It was... Uh, basically two disciplinary cases at the same time with different panels and you know I had to prepare myself for for different defenses and everything it was a long list of of of, of things including the comedy and one other bit was I had had the audacity to tell fellow BBC colleagues internally that another BBC colleague's report was not um, impartial and they said you cannot question the impartiality of your colleagues' work, because by doing that, you will jeopardize our impartiality. <laughs> so, um, so, so so, it was all that. And, um, you know, it's ironically, it's a BBC, and I do joke about it in one of my routines. It's a BBC mantra uh, or go-to place. They say, well, Tories are not happy with us and Labour is not happy with us, so we must be doing something, right? So maybe I should have had in my defense uh, told them, you know, if you think I'm both pro-Nazi and pro-Israeli in the same, you know, comedy um, career, maybe I'm doing something right. But, but yeah. So eventually, I got this final written warning, and I thought, okay, I, I better get out. I love that defense that we must be doing something right. Maybe you're just rubbish. If everyone hates <laughs> you, you know what I mean. I, I was reading a, a Telegraph, I'm not Telegraph, a Times hit piece today on Calvin Robinson. It was an awful. Today, as we record, they've just released a ludicrous hit piece against him. But one thing they said is like. He, he he uses the fact that his opinions are sort of not liked as proof that they must be right. And there is something in that if you're outside the mainstream. But now what they're using against you at the BBC, they're, well, they're, they're claiming that means their opinions are right, much like the Times is attacking Calvin for. It just, it just popped into my head. But yeah, it could mean that your opinions are too edgy and, and correct. Or in the BBC's case, it could mean they're impartial. Or it could just mean they're doing a bad job. I mean... Lately, they've they've really fallen apart on impartiality. But what was your job title at the at the BBC? What were you actually doing? Um, I started as a broadcast journalist with uh, one department of BBC World Service, which is called BBC Persian. 
BBC Persian TV because they, they broadcast in different languages. And so that was one of the exotic outlets of the BBC. They, they, they used to broadcast in about 30 languages now. Some of them have been shut down because of the cuts and everything. So I started with them. And then a few years later, I was promoted to senior broadcast journalist. Uh, I would do output editing. Some of these uh, you know, jobs or titles you, you are familiar with because you are at GB News as well. So officially senior broadcast journalist or senior journalist doing a bit of reporting, presenting or output editor uh, or simply producing. So a, bu- a bunch of stuff. And the, the catalyst was, I believe, a piece in The Spectator highlighting you as a kind of what, a right wing comedian or a countercultural comedian or a comedian to watch or something? Yeah, well, ironically, um, that was that. Not not that I'm unhappy uh, about because to to this day, maybe that's one of the biggest um, accolades, if you like, or best reviews I've received. But uh, as I said, there were my bosses received different complaints. You know, sometimes concerned members of the audience, which might as well have been some of my colleagues who didn't like me, because believe it or not. The majority of the newsroom was not pro-Brexit, pro-Trump, anti-abortion. I don't know if you can fathom that. But uh, so we have these so-called concerned members of the audience who had discovered that I was doing comedy. But it it the 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 catalyst or the the acceleration of uh, my troubles uh, coincided with with that um, article in in the Spectator where I was. you know, honored to be listed along three other comics as one of the best unwoke uh, comedians to watch. That was, I think, 2020. Uh, yeah, it was one of my unleashed gigs. And of course, there was my name and a link. And uh, it was nice, yeah. but, but ironically, it also uh, caused me a lot of trouble. <laughs> I remember the piece, but I didn't, I sort of missed the trouble it caused you. I think because that was a bit after my time in comedy, I'm, I was sort of uh, semi-retired by then. I mean, I started, I think, a long time before you in comedy. When did you start comedy? Uh, 2017. Right. Yeah. yeah, so I started 2011, so we're kind of a different comedic generation, so I kind of missed missed all that. So you basically, you were in The Spectator. Com- what, comedians got hold of it and emailed the BBC? Well, I don't know who got hold of it. I don't know if my boss was one of the readers of that article just spontaneously or someone... Someone just you know send them a screen grab or the link. Uh, that was that was the first time I got into trouble, and I kind of had to promise I would never do that again. And then the lockdown happened, so nobody was doing much comedy anyway. Uh, but then uh, somebody got hold of my YouTube channel, um, and I was doing um, this routine, one of those routine behind the camera, you know. Uh, I mean, at home because it was a lockdown time obviously and i had this joke uh, and they the joke was deemed transphobic uh so that was that uh, and in general they were like um, you shouldn't do comedy because it um, jeopardizes the the good impartial name of the bbc although uh, you know i've said that this before uh, so forgive me if you've heard it but in italy you have this saying uh, the law is applied to the enemies and interpreted for the friends, the law is applied to the enemies, but interpreted for the friends. So you know the 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 Naga Manchetti's and Gary Lineker's and other BBC personalities can can do and write and tweet whatever they want. 
Meanwhile, I was not a public figure in the UK because I was part of the World Service. So I was broadcasting when I was broadcasting uh, in a different language to a different audience who had no idea I was, you know, doing stand-up comedy in some uh, more or less unknown pubs around London or wherever, you know. So, yeah. so the risk was really minimal, if you see what I mean. But yeah. the law was applied to me because I was not one of them. And it was applied to me in the harshest possible interpretation. Yeah, I mean, there's also a further irony, one can argue, in the fact that someone like Nish Kumar can just be incredibly, uh, you know, partial in his comedy. He's basically an activist. You know, his comedy is basically, you're an idiot if you vote Brexit and so on. It, it sort of almost, it becomes almost like activism at times without any jokes. And so the, there's a question, like, if you were if they mistakenly let you on the BBC as a comedian somehow and you came out and did a right-wing routine, would that be fine? Even though it wouldn't happen because the furthest I'll ever go is Jeff Norcott. But, um, you know, who's, and you're a bit more out there than Jeff. A bit, he's a bit more moderate in his approach. But what, what do you think? I mean, is it, was it the problem that you were there as a journalist, not as a comedian, but you, you could, in theory, be a comedian saying something right-wing on the BBC. In theory. Well, if, if they want to apply the letter of terms and conditions, you shouldn't have any, you know, outside um, activities, which, um, as I said, jeopardizes their impartiality. So you can't come out as a right-wing comedian. Uh, and I said, look, what if it's a character act? You know, I, this might as well be a, a character act. Which, which, and they're which, like, is it? No. <laughs> no, it, no, it is not. But... But I thought, okay, what if I don't do political comedy? You know, uh, I just do, you know, observational comedy, talking about, you know, buying fridges or airline food. And still, they were like, no, you have to, you have to um, basically get um, clearance for your routines in written form. Can you imagine? Is that possible? No, of course not. Uh, you just need to take your jokes to your boss for every gig, and his boss, and and of course. I, I could get that if this was applied to everybody, you know, fairly and evenly, which, as I said, it's not because I do have colleagues, former colleagues, uh, not just famous ones like Gary Lindner. These people do podcasts, you know, about feminism or about immigration, about, you know, LGBT and whatever. And none of this is impartial because not, nothing is impartial at the end of the day. This is the big lie that they sell us, that we, we can be impartial. You cannot be impartial, you know? Um, so, so yeah, so you do have colleagues who, who do all these outside activities, um, and it's fine because the majority of, of, of the uh, management establishment and fellow colleagues in the newsroom approve of those things and, and those views, so, so nothing happens to them. Yeah. So... Um, so when I say when I say cancelled from from my day job, it is it is not exactly cancelled in, in the sense that you got a gig and some pressure groups or some some uh, some 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 uh, not jobs call or pressure the venue to you know kick you out as as we know. Uh, so it wasn't like that. Uh, if you want to look at it um, fairly they were within their rights to say, no, you are a member of our organization or corporation and uh, you cannot do anything that, according to our terms and conditions, jeopardize our, our uh, good <laughs> impartial name. What yeah. I have a harder time digesting is, first of all, they don't apply these their own terms and conditions evenly to people across the 
you know, political spectrum. And secondly, another part was that they, they are not impartial in the first place. Hence, the other disciplinary case in which I was arguing, look, this report you are airing uh, about Donald Trump's uh, border wall in Arizona is not impartial because of all these reasons. And they never said, okay, these reasons are good or, you know, baseless for these uh, reasons. <laughs> what what yeah. they said, no, how how dare you? How dare you say that the BBC journalist is has come up with an impartial, with a, with a, with a biased uh, uh, report that actually is, 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 is offensive. And did you know that some of your colleagues might, might have... Um, migrant or refugee backgrounds you know, i might have migrant or refugee background you know, i'm not anglo-saxon if you if you check out you know uh, what, what are we talking about because some colleagues were upset uh, imagine my surprise uh, paul joseph watson would say imagine my shock colleagues were upset because these colleagues were fake refugees from the middle east and i was saying another report about potentially fake uh, asylum seekers from from mexico was not impartial so it was just a, a farcical case. I got, I got, I got, I got a six-month written warning for that one, which would have meant after six months it would have been cancelled uh, from my uh, records. But for the comedy uh, disciplinary procedure, I got a final written warning. So basically, one more uh, performance, and I, I would have been sacked. So I just thought I, I would leave myself. Wow. I mean, you should have just joined Hamas if you wanted the BBC to be uh, sympathetic to you. I mean, that would have been fine. That would have been been like, he's not a terrorist. He's a great guy. And I love the idea, by the way, of you trying to do um, just observational comedy to try and get around it. But then it just ends up right wing anyway. Like, oh, I bought this new fridge, as you talked about. Oh, but, you know, and I put it as high as I want because climate change isn't real. But it's been badly installed by the immigrant labor. I could just imagine you like trying, but you just wouldn't be able to do it. You'd just go right wing anyway. Um, Maybe I was just trying to buy myself time for, for for GB News to get the ground, get get you know, get up and yeah. running uh, to just yeah. find some, some alternative outlets. You know. Playing the long game. Um, but then then didn't the Free Speech Union help you? Quick shout out to Toby. Oh yeah, they did. They did, and I, I think I've said this before elsewhere. Um, and I actually did the Free Speech Union gig at Comedy Unleashed. I, I was a last-minute uh, reserve, but I, I I did it, and Toby was there. So uh, I, I was a member of NUJ, which is the National Union of Journalists. Uh, but uh, at some point, and the the way it works. Uh, for those who don't know, is that every department has their own NUJ chapel that they elect. And, well, ironically, these chapels were also in bed with the management or were the, part of the management or wives or family members or best buddies of the management. But that's another story. And at some point, my my rep, in other words, the person who was in my chapel at my, you know, department said, no, I can't I can't defend you because I'm a feminist and I believe in the equality of men and women. Well, I believe in equality of men and women as well, uh, but women actually have more in this country, but that's another t- thing. But I, 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 I thought, I'm a paying member of this union and Milosevic and Saddam Hussein got, got defense uh, for their trials. Uh, well, what can I do? Uh, so long story short, I, uh, I emailed a free speech union uh, of which I was also a member, and they were kind enough to give me a rep from another uh, union. Uh, by union, I mean um, a professional union, not not free speech union. Uh, that was called Affinity, 
if I'm not mistaken. A very nice guy helped me through both these uh, cases. Uh, you know, coming up with mitigating factors and you know presenting the defenses and 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 they also gave me a coach <laughs> because it was a tough time. We were under lockdown, so I was on my own. And colleagues maybe were afraid. Uh, some of them were not sympathetic to me. Obviously, as I said, they might have been behind. Uh, at least one of these I know for sure cases. But uh, you know, I wasn't suicidal or anything. But it was a tough time for anybody and. You are, you know, um, I, I, I was a British citizen by then. But can you imagine if you, you, you were a foreigner, you lose your job, you might have to leave the country, you lose your livelihood, it's, 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 it's COVID lockdown. So, so Free Speech Union, not only did they give me a rep to defend me, uh, which did a fine job, um, but also they, they gave me a, a kind of a, coach somebody to talk to and you know in terms of the you know psychological impact to, to manage that that area as well but what what i mean i'm not very great on legal stuff i mean were you, were you suing the bbc were you trying to get a settlement what what was the actual was there a legal case or what no no no. i was not suing the bbc uh, at all um the bbc had uh, had put me through not one but two disciplinary procedures so basically, the BBC was like, okay, you, there have been complaints about you, uh, one of which was from my colleague. As I said, um, this colleague was mad or was angry and upset, probably together with some other colleagues that I had dared say, your, uh, our, our, our colleague, another colleague, um, it was Clive Myrie from BBC News. Not not from BBC Persian TV, but from BBC News. I said Clive Myrie's report on Arizona Wall is not impartial, and now you're forcing us to to dub this, to reversion this into Persian for our own audience. Uh, and I had to do it because because they were they, they they were forcing us to do that. But I thought if if it happens again, I, I won't do this because this is this is not impartial and this is nonsense for these for all these reasons. Right. And this had made colleagues upset. And they also said you had no right to send an internal. I didn't leak anything to Daily Mail or anyone. You know, I sent an internal email to fellow colleagues saying, I don't think this is a, we are doing the right job because of these reasons. And this had made our, uh, you know, uh, lefty colleagues upset and, uh, because uh, they had refugee backgrounds or whatever so apparently that makes them uh, you know entitled to to not like what i thought about that report so so that was that was that was one of the cases and the other case was the the comedy um transphobic joke pro-israeli and also pro-nazi at the same time um actually pro-nazi thing was not the comedy but they said why have you shared pictures of the Pictures, <laughs> pictures of the. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what this one. Pictures of some Nazi uh, figures on your tweet. I said, did you read the tweet? Because Twitter didn't didn't take it down, and it got so many likes. And because it was completely in line with the Israeli narrative or with the Iranian opposition narrative. Uh, but this is how how dumb my my bosses were. If if you want, I I tell you that story as well. Israel had taken out an Iranian. 
nuclear um, procurer, okay, uh, who was a general of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards, the notorious Revolutionary Guards, were listed as a terrorist organization by the United States and and, and, and some other countries, uh, Canada as well, I think, or maybe not yet. But anyway. Uh, and of course, Israelis were behind this because they didn't want the Iranians to reach uh, the nuclear bomb, uh, although they didn't openly admit it, but everybody knew that, that that's who they were. And the Iranian regime was glorifying this uh, fallen figure as a nuclear scientist, but maybe he had a PhD or something, but basically he was the guy going around to countries like Pakistan or North Korea and, and procuring, pro procuring Iran with, with nuclear you know, material and know-how. So mocking this narrative, I put up uh, pictures of um, a couple of Nazi figures like Goebbels. I said, okay, he was a, a communication scientist or telecommunication scientist. And I don't know, it was Himmler or, or Goering. And I said, he was a data processing scientist, you know? So I'm basically, I'm, obviously I'm meaning they were anything but scientists and the tweet had got a lot of likes. And of course, Twitter, who was not owned by, which was not owned by Elon Musk at that time, had no problem at it. But these bosses were, or whoever was a, a, a against me had such a, you know, rush to come up with as much evidence against me as possible. They, they said, okay, in, in on Twitter, you have posted pictures of Nazi, you know, and I was like, okay, but what did I write above it or underneath it? Was it? And at the same time, at the same time, uh, I was in the same case. Uh, I was also accused of uh, being pro-Israeli in my stand-up com <laughs> comedy. So, so that was the that was the funny part, basically. Yeah. Um, well, they always like to remove context when they feel like it. I mean, Lawrence Fox got in a lot of trouble for posting that rainbow pride flag sort of reshaped re into a swastika, which was clearly a satire, a, admittedly fairly crude one on this is the new kind of fascism that you must listen to. But he got a lot of talk about that. But to me, it was like an obvious satire and not that controversial. But hey, maybe I'm not the gauge. Um, but so then if this isn't too personal, then how have you sort of survived? You got you lost your job and then you're doing comedy. But, you you know, I mean, it's tough to survive in comedy, even if you're doing all the massive clubs and you know, there's not that much work in comedy. Yeah. So have, have you managed to do okay from you've got YouTube and now you've got GB or, or what? Yeah, I mean, uh, GB News um, is, is a recent thing, uh, of course, which I'm very pleased with, uh, being on headliners with uh, with old friends like yourself and uh, and Andrew and, uh, and, and others. And, and that's nice. Uh, I had some YouTube success after but this came late uh, you know earlier this year i i did this uh, routine that um arguably according to some publications for example american mind there's a website called american mind uh they 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 they, they wrote a feature in which compared this as a pro uh, life or anti-abortion routine to other anti-abortion uh jokes by the likes of louis ck and bill burr and um, Dave Chappelle, you know, Dave Chappelle got into trouble also for some abortion jokes. But uh, but was that the, a Disney uh, one? Was that a Disney joke? Um, I don't remember the Disney oh. joke. I remember the one in which he says, "No, your joke." My joke. 
Oh, yeah, well, yeah, because I'm just saying I loved your Disney because you did a brilliant oh, uh, routine oh, about Disney you. where you said they're paying their employees to go and travel to yeah. get an abortion. I'm like, you're killing your future customers. I, I was know. Oh, thanks. Thanks for knowing, uh, remembering that. But uh, um, obviously, if, if, if it has made an impression uh, on your mind coming from you means uh, all the more. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so 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 the thing that I'm claiming or my claim to to fame, if you like, uh, or or according to this uh, website, American Mind, the author had come up to, with the conclusion that although these um, giant figures, that is Louis C.K., Dave Chappelle, um, and Bill Burr, do have anti-abortion jokes, they always come back to the main line or mainstream and do pro-life jokes as well in the same routine so they do that bit anti-abortion as a kind of a provocation but they always end with you know balance it with you know ladies at the end of the day it's your body your choice whereas this is what american mind says uh nicholas de santo is is has gone only anti-abortion so i have a routine which is just just pro-life you know and uh, to get back to your question, um, this sort of, I don't know how many is, is viral, but uh, in the space of a few months, uh, hundreds of thousands of people saw this. And today, like after about six months or, or so, uh, almost 900,000 people. So, so that was nice and got me some, some recognition. Uh, but uh, essentially, I also freelance as an interpreter and translator. So that's kind of my my day job, if you like. So basically, I do that, and I do comedy, uh, YouTube, uh, the occasional private gig, if you like, and and headliners is the recent thing. So it's a okay. bit of a gig economy, going from the you know big salary to the gig economy, if you like. Yeah, well, you can't pay your bills on recognition alone. That's the yeah. problem. And um, I remember the Louis C.K. joke. He kind of compares abortion. He says, "Is it? It's either like taking a bleep, meaning going to the toilet, or it's killing a, a baby." And it goes. And by the way, I think it is killing a baby. He admits it's killing a baby, but then he goes and says, "But we should do it anyway," which is kind of a dark kind of Louis C.K. take. But yeah, he does in a way pull it back. Yeah, they all pull it back, as you say, and you don't. It's, it's nice to have a pro-life comedian. I mean, I've done pro-Christian jokes on stage. Not easy. And it's the most edgy stuff you can do these days. But, I know. Um, and do, can you do normal clubs then? Because you sort of went a different route to me, it looks like. You sort of went onto YouTube quite quickly and you were sort of cancelled and a, some other some comedy clubs ca- have cancelled you. On, you know, they don't want you to play their venues. And um, I went a different route. I started before it got quite as crazy and I did the sort of normal club route, comedy mm-hmm. store, all this kind of thing. Not that it was necessarily the, a smart path. I mean, you learn skills, but it's a very grueling way and you don't it's, you struggle to make a living but you've kind of i mean do you play the normal clubs and if you do do you find that you can do your material because i've found that you know if you're playing with a load of 20 year olds they don't even know what the paradigms are that you're subverting mm-hmm. if i do comedy unleashed i can do an anti-nhs joke but they barely know enough at a normal club often so you know especially the ones yeah. with younger audience like top secret in comic garden if you said something about the nhs they're like what you know you can do dating stuff but if you talk about the nhs it's like they might vaguely know they're supposed to like it and you can, you can do a pro-NHS joke. But to do an anti-NHS joke is very hard because, maybe, because one, they don't like you to be anti-NHS, but they probably just don't even know enough to even get the premise. Although you, have, you set up your premises very carefully, so that, that's one way of doing it. But have you found it's hard to play normal clubs? 
yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, as you as you um, sort of hinted, I am in a weird place because there has been some recognition, and now I am on GB News and everything. But I was never a fully fledged professional, or maybe even a semi professional comic when all this happened. So. Um, I wasn't very prolific to start with because I had a day job and then um, with my kind of material finding um, favorable clubs or gigs wasn't very easy to start with. Then then my bosses said, okay, you are on written warning, so you have to stop this. So I kind of stopped it uh, except for the occasional gig. Then COVID happened. And when all this happened, I became more and more, you know, political in my in my gigs. Not that I don't do or don't have the occasional, you know, more mainstream or, uh, and of course, by mainstream, I don't mean stupid things like, oh, you know, uh, let's talk about my autism or airline food or, you know, avocado dips, expensive. Uh, but I, I also have less controversial routines. But then, as I, I hope I have, you know, uh, demonstrated and you also kind of know, when you look at my, my history and, and what I went through, at some point I thought, you know, what the heck, let's, let's be more political because we are, we are in culture war and I am going through all these, you know, troubles. And if it's something that might get me out of work or might, you know, get me canceled, let's, let it be something something worthwhile, you know? Um, Andrew Lawrence, who, you know, uh, I'm sure has a, has a funny joke. He says, um, not, not, he doesn't mean it in relation to the cancel culture, but he says, you know, <laughs> I, it's good to be here. You get out of your uh, house to, to, let's, let's hope I'm not butchering his joke. You get out of the house to, do a gig and the weather is horrible traffic is horrible if you're going by train trains are horrible a lot of clubs are horrible sometimes audience is horrible and still some comics come out and say oh it's great to be here man your house must be crap (laughs) so so to 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 basically build on that joke by by very funny andrew lawrence uh, if you want, if you need to go through all these horrible, you know, uh, troubles, especially when you have small kids, kids like myself, let it be worth uh, worth something. Or let's let's make a difference. You know, I hope I don't sound arrogant or anything, but does the world really need another comic who talks about, you know, buying fridges or or dating or or whatever? Because I can never be as good as you know. Like the the underground joke that you do, <laughs> you know, sitting in the sitting in the um, disabled, uh, you know, oh, person yeah. uh, opposite the other disabled seat. Uh, I say, okay, let's 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 bring something to the table that nobody else is is doing it. And the best compliment is that people saying, oh, I, you know, I forgot that comedy could could be about this. And if nobody's doing anti-abortion jokes or anti-abortion routines, for that matter. Uh, the the downside is I get canceled and fewer, you know, clubs would be uh, willing to accept me for obvious reasons. 
But the upside is that people do remember me, and and I, I maybe I make up for it on on YouTube, because at the end of the day, you want to be remembered, and you want to feel like you have you have contributed, right? Mm. Yeah, very interesting. I, mean, I remember, I think it was Richard Pryor actually said a similar thing about, you know, wanting to get into the point where you just want it to be actually what you want to talk about and it, it has to be worthwhile or why are you even doing it. It's funny, by the way, that I'm your example of, of the sort of normie comedian doing mainstream material that you can't compete with. <laughs> I would have thought it's someone like Michael McIntyre, but you got me down as a, as a normie because I have that tube bit. But you are <laughs> right. Don't worry, Nicholas, no, not many people can top my natural fluidity and elan in my delivery you know even if it's their first language they, they can't get close but um so you're right to have your own niche but it is funny how you point out it only it only makes you more extreme you know not that you're extreme but you know i think that was your word but you know what i mean it when they cancel people where are you going to go you're only going to double down on it it's a very strange tactic in a way from them and for me it was partly the lockdown as well it was it was that um i wasn't in the comedy world because we were locked down so i wrote for spiked online and started just being more and more opinionated because I didn't have to deal with comics day to day and their mm. nonsense. So that kind of helped. Um, but do you still believe in comedy then? Because I don't believe in the, I hate the comedy world. I hate, I basically hate, it's not that I hate comedy now because, you know, I'll still be funny or something, but you know, you can't hate comedy as a concept, but I hate the comedy industry so much that it's, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't even like the fact that I have to work with comedians on headliners just because, uh, I wanted to have nothing to do with comedy anymore because I'm so sickened by it. But do you think there's hope for it then or, or you just think hope for you personally outside it on putting stuff up on YouTube and doing comedy on Leash, basically? Well, at, at this point, as you mentioned, I mean, whatever I can get, uh, right? Um, I, I, I don't want to rest on my laurels, presuming that there are laurels, but I've got a little bit of recognition, a, a, a little bit of encouraging signs and uh, and who, who doesn't like compliments is the best thing when people you know on youtube from the other side of the globe uh comment and say well come to our country come to australia come to the us come to brazil you know and thank you for saying this stuff i showed this to my friend it's it's the best thing uh and so you have that sort of recognition when when clubs you know in your own city uh have cancelled you or won't give you stage time for because of you because of you know the the group thing and the and the pressure groups and all that um i like comedy uh english is not my first language it's not even my second language so i i, I still i'm fascinated by how you make people laugh and you make and i i work as, as an as an interpreter and i did linguistics so you know how jokes translate and how jokes travel and you know also that you know uh, mechanical, if you like, uh, aspect of it also fascinates me. Uh, and I do enjoy listening to comedy, even mainstream comedy, but good ones, you know, Michael McIntyre or Brian Regan, who is my favorite American um, observational, clean comic. Uh, Norm MacDonald, who passed away, Canadian, but, you know, living in the U.S. Uh, he was Christian like us, I think more leaning on the conservative side like us. Uh, not as much as me, but uh, I think uh, he was very funny and 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 good. Uh, so I I I I enjoy listening to comedy and I enjoy enjoy doing comedy. But at the end of the day, you want to do something. And I I I just tell myself if I go under the bus, you know the the famous proverbial bus that can hit all of us anytime. This is the British thing. Um, uh, I think Alistair Williams jokes about that. Uh, 
but if I if I'm hit by the bus uh, tomorrow, I'll probably still be the the only one who came with an entirely pro-life um, comedy and uh, who doesn't like uh, an accolade or, or you know uh, a title and even if even if someone comes with that which is funnier I'll still be the first so uh, so I think we are doing something worthwhile in the culture wars and uh, I can't I can't uh, you know uh, not do that because I don't know how else I can I can fight in the culture wars, and the culture wars is 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 real. Unlike what the lefty comics tell you, that yeah, cancel culture doesn't exist really, and not not according to my experience. Um, so so this is the way to contribute. So in 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 a way, you know what is not to like because comedy allows me to explore my love of the language and my love of humor, have a good laugh. You know, which always helps find friends or like-minded friends, even better, like yourself, and to also be able to tell myself, you know, at least I did something when the whole Western world uh, were were hell bent on on collective suicide. So that's my take. Great answer. I mean, and you're crushing it, giving it your third language. And yeah, shout out to Norm Macdonald, the greatest of all time, and also Thanks. shout out to Andrew Lawrence and Alistair Williams, who've both been on this podcast. This is where you end up when you're a cancelled comedian. It's this podcast. But um, I'm in good company then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. But you know what? Yeah, so it's interesting. You still have a fascination with the form of comedy and the language aspect. I mean, that is interesting. I mean, I, I did like, you know, writing jokes when you get a good one. It is a nice feeling. I, I am, I'm less interested. I don't need it. So, you know, I like to be able to walk away and move on to other areas like podcasting, GB News, where you can also make an impact. So it's not that I've given up on the culture war because there is no way out of the culture war i sometimes get bored of it and think oh they're trying to cancel me again they're trying to get me sacked again maybe i have had enough of this but there is no way out of it i had the thought the other day i really wish i could get out of this culture war and then i thought of course you do nick it's a war who likes a war but we just have to fight it till we win it that's how it ends it doesn't just end i doubt they wanted the second world war to carry on either not to compare it was a crass comparison this is a lot easier war but yeah i mean it's all it could end the whole western world there is that but um the difference is with me, I, I take a weird pride in being like Robert De Niro in Heat, you know, when he says, like, you, you've got to be able to walk away in 30 seconds from your whole life. Like, I'm, I'm like, even if I've done 11 years of comedy and dedicated my life to it, I can just give it up if, if I need to for some other reason. And I take a sick pride in that. So whereas a lot of comedians, they desperately need comedy. They just need it for their ego, whatever it is. You know, at my live podcast, I'll get to go and do what is kind of stand up. So that's, I do it there. And obviously I do, you know, Free Speech Nation on GB News with a live audience. So I can do some of the skills, but, and I did one gig with coming on just before Jordan Peterson for Comedy Unleashed, but I, I don't need it in that same way. But anyway, it's good that you uh, still are doing it and still believe in it in some sense. Anyway, the podcast's not about me. What do you think though of the recent pro-Palestine stance in comedy? So we're used to the comedy world and we know, and you've alluded to it with your BBC story, how insanely left-wing it is and you've been cancelled from comedy clubs because of this but now it's become particularly notable and particularly tasteless and they're actually getting some pushback so you know josh howie shared this thing from kitty lang who was an, an agent with united agents and lee kern shared it as well and actually they got this to the point where she's now semi lost her job now whether whether we agree with cancel culture i i don't agree with it 
but in general, although it's almost to the point where do we just have to fight fire with fire? But she lost her job at United Agents. She didn't really lose a job. She just lost her place on the executive board. And what's the executive board of a comedy agent? Anyway, it sounds like nonsense. But there was some pushback. She was retweeting things about the beheading of babies didn't really happen. She was essentially retweeting her mass propaganda with, without even thinking about it. Because what people don't realize is the comedy, or they might realize, the comedy world is so extremely left that you can easily say something radically pro-Palestine that borders on pro-Hamas. And that's like good for your career. But if you're Jeff Norcott and you say, well, you're a Tory, like, ooh, that's like the one Tory we can have. That's like liking Theresa May is as edgy as you can get. And you've alluded to similar things earlier. But what's your take on that? Is that going to change anything? Is that going to make people think, hang on, this is kind of mad. And is it, is it, and is it unfortunate, last caveat, that that can only happen when we see anti-Semitism, that it can't happen because of hating white people or general wokeness. I think it can only happen when it's actually, you know, anti-Semitism. Any thoughts on any of that? Well, um, we see a lot of unpleasant things. Uh, sometimes, as you said, it's insane, but it's hardly surprising, isn't it? Uh, now, Hamas is the current current thing and, the you know, the the troubles and the hardships of the Palestinians is the current thing. So if you go against the group thing uh, or the echo chamber diktat, uh, you risk a lot. Now, um, Israelis or or Jews still have some defenses against uh, this madness because of the Holocaust and because uh, institutionally uh, our leaders and our institutions still have some you know degree of sanity or you know because of the past because of the holocaust there's some legislation uh, to protect them and they, they 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 have some minority status so so they can somehow try to you know um apply those those instruments but not that it's completely working because we see both in the uk in the us and elsewhere in in europe you know uh, we have beefed up security we have uh, attacks on on jews synagogues murders uh israeli flags burned on university campuses which would have been fine under free speech except that again we have double standards so you cannot you know uh, dare to dream of you know burning a BLM flag or or a Palestinian flag or anything like that on any campus or anywhere for that matter. So what a lot of people, I mean, not not that I was famous, uh, but a lot of even famous or big public figures have been saying in these years is that you bring in millions of people who hate us at at. At best, they are incompatible and they have nothing in common with us. And at worst, they actually hate us and are, you know, determined to to change our way of life and to conquer us, to subjugate us, to turn us into the caliphate. And a lot of them are, you know, saying that openly. Um, and then what what do you expect? Um, I don't know to to use a BBC or journalistic cliche at the end of the the, the TV reports. Time will tell. It remains to be seen. But I hope that these massive, vicious pro-Hamas, pro-terrorism, pro-violence rallies that we've seen on our streets and on campuses, maybe, maybe it opens up the eyes of some of the lefties 
who were just, you know, had a maybe more romantic vision of immigration, open borders, the Palestinian cause, and all that. Um, I, I, I heard that some, some Jewish donors of a lot of uh, major American universities have started holding back their money because they are saying, okay, if this is, this is the product of these universities, why, why should be funding this? So, so I, I, I hope that, you know, the positive out of this is that it works as an eye opener, uh, that, you know, we, we were supposed to be, um, you know, uh, I, Maybe I maybe I uh, maybe I said this on headliners. Maybe I didn't, but uh, it's 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 uh, incredible that you get crucified. As and I always think of our other friend Leo Kurz, who got into tr trouble because he's not a fan of women's football. Right? You get almost I mean metaphorically, obviously, but crucified for saying women's football is boring, or you or Gender pay gap doesn't exist. Another joke of mine. <laughs> I know, I know that because I do say that a lot. At the same time, these so-called feminists and lefties are chanting for Hamas after they've done those things to those women and children, and they have filmed them on their own GoPro. So this is no Israeli, you know, spin operation or you know, or propaganda. They, they, we are, we are witnessing our. We are basing our judgment on what we've witnessed on their own outlet. And these lefties, I mean, the, the, the cognitive dissonance, if you like, is so glaring that some, some liberals, so-called liberals or, you know, old-style liberals or lefties with some sanity left in their brains should see the, the you know, the, 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 context, the contrast and the hypocrisy of that. So if I wanted to be a bit optimistic, I... I, I I hope that would be the outcome. Yeah, absolutely. It's not about women. It's never about anything they say it's about. It only comes down to ideology. It comes down to usually a kind of utopian ideology. Although as some people have pointed out, and I think Toby was saying this to me, in the case of wokeness, not even really a utopian ideology. It seems to be just an entirely destructive, nihilistic ideology. But that seems to take precedence over everything. And like you say, how, do you really care about women when, you can, when you're prepared to see women be raped and murdered and, and go well it's oh it's justified because they're occupied or whatever it's madness it, there's no consistency there's no morality it just seems to be this one kind of voracious ideology that has no end point so yeah well i've been wondering like you i mean i started to think when people like rivka brown said oh yeah this is a day of celebration she's a navara media person we saw people being raped and murdered and and we saw the true face of decolonization which itself is kind of the true face of wokeness. I mean, what is wokeness? It's critical race theory, it's decolonization and a few other things. And um, and we saw the face of it and I thought, okay, these, these people have made a, a mistake here. And actually, it, it will make some impact. But then we also saw the pushback and it kind of going back towards the pro-Palestine side, especially as Israel starts to, you know, do military operations. We're going to see this more and more. BBC won't say Hamas are terrorists, Channel 4, pro-Palestine, Sky News to some slightly lesser extent. Keir Starmer on the fence trying not to alienate his Muslim base. It's kind of ridiculous. But we, academic agent put it interestingly. He's a YouTuber you may have followed. And he said he's always been saying that they're going to put the woke away at some point. And my understanding is it's like the elites are going to realize woke's not popular. We're going to kind of tone this down a bit. But then he said, hang on, 
or is woke going to put Israel away in this case? So it's a kind of battle, a PR battle between Israel or the pro-Israel side or just the anti-Hamas side and the sort of woke side of who's going to win this culture war battle aside from the actual military battle. That's my take on it anyway. But you know, if I if I may add something briefly, it part part of it is because of the nutheads and the lefties who do hate the West, who do hate white people, who do want open borders so that all of us become beige and the, the whites disappear from, and most of them are white actually, disappear from the face of the planet. But part of it is that our establishment, our leaders, our you know um, security uh, apparatus are worried that this might have domestic consequences because we have millions of them in here. And of course, they are right to be worried. But then the question is, whose fault is that? So when you when you change the goalpost and try to import future voters because you are the Labour Party or you are the Democrats, Democratic Party in the US, okay, on the one hand, you you don't want to alienate these potential Muslim voters, okay? But even worse, you fear civil war, you fear backlash, you fear unrest, and this is the situation we are in. So we have on the this is a twofold problem. We have the crazies, um, the, the 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 Novara media and 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 company, the likes of them and the campus professors and the gender studies, you know, professors and whatever, and then we have you know our our leaders and our governments who have a duty to, of course, to safeguard our the the, the population. So and, and and for that you cannot fault them. But the problem is that this is what open borders create. We have the so-called fifth column, and they have not become like us unless we, uh, um, contrary to what we were promised. Because it turns out people are different. We are not all the same, and just by bringing in millions of people and saying them and telling them yeah don't kill us and we give you a passport they don't become just just like us you know it has multiculturalism hasn't hasn't worked sorry it wasn't as brief as i wanted it to be but but this no. is, i think this is important it was more brief than i was it was no it's a great point i've said this as well we've got the idea battle which is coming from the universities who have all pushed decolonization and now we're seeing just how ugly that really is and then we have the on the streets battle which is people shouting we want a jihad, we want a, which is a solution for the armies. We want a, the armies of the Muslim countries should rise up. And the Met Police saying, well, jihad has many meanings, guys. And it can mean in, in a struggle for peace. We have an ITV presenter who's an OBE saying the same thing. And, uh, and you're right. And the cynical reason is the, the ruling elites have, have, have done this. And now the police can't control it. If they say something that seems too anti-jihad they could have a, you know too many people could could rebel at once on the streets and they can't control it so yeah, it becomes simply a logistics problem so then they have to use this very inflammatory language inflammatory for normal people who are going what are you talking about this is obviously a, it's a very least hate speech if we're going to have hate speech laws but it's also incitement it's it's also dangerous but then the police have to pretend it isn't you know yeah so exactly those I had, points i had this joke in in, in my uh, in one of my recent routines at uh, at comedy unleashed about azia bibi if you remember uh, yeah. azia bibi she was a pakistani christian woman uh, sentenced to death her life was in danger and the uk refused uh, to give her asylum and i yeah. my my kind of joke uh, i don't know how funny people find it but at least it's true <laughs> was that you know UK didn't take her in. A, a Christian country headed a government headed by Theresa May 
Christian woman, Christian name, three flags, uh, three crosses on our flag, and we created Pakistan as the United Kingdom. We didn't take her, and who took her? Justin Trudeau took her. So we we lost the the defense of Christianity, and that routine of mine is about defense of Christianity. And you know, uh, anyway, we lost defense of Christianity to 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 Justin Trudeau, and I'd say losing defense of Christianity to Justin Trudeau is like losing the uh, Native American heritage race to Elizabeth Warren. But <laughs> but but there was a... Thanks for laughing at People, that, have, people was, have to know quite a lot. That's a classic example of a joke. You have to know quite a lot for that joke to work. Yeah, that's for the American market. That's for the American market who are big on YouTube, but are on my YouTube channel. For, so you need to know, yeah, Elizabeth Warren. You need to, yeah, that That's not a joke you can do, at, as you were saying before. At Hindus or stag dudes <laughs> or mainstream clubs or or even universities, but who's drinking um, tonight? So let me talk about Asia Bibi and Elizabeth. Uh, Warren. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> but, Doing but, that in but, but, but I'm, I'm saying that because because of the security component. So again, the argument was, you know, there might be rebellions on first our embassy in Pakistan might be attacked, but God knows why Canadians were not worried about their embassy being attacked but also we have a sizable uh, angry muslim population on our uh, on our streets and uh, in our communities so so this is the this is the reality we are we are dealing with um it's not just it's not just the you know crazy communists and uh, you know the, the the intersectional coalition who who have a sympathy for uh, brown decolonizers of hamas it's it's the security element as well no, absolutely, absolutely, and I, yeah, I should have said that first. But it, it's, it's a it's a dual pronged attack, at least. And yeah, and you say we're a Christian country. Of course, we're not anymore. I grew up in a Christian country called England. I sometimes say, but now we see Isabel Isabel Vaughan Spruce arrested again the other day, or spoken to by the police uh, for praying in her head in the wrong spot. At the same time that the Met Police is downplaying someone shouting about jihad and the armies of Muslim countries must rise up, and it's like. That's not a Christian country, is it? A Christian arrested for praying in her head while you can shout that. It's not a Christian country anymore. So, And, of course, the Equalities Act, as Peter Hitchens argued, meant that it's not a Christian country because once you place Christianity on the same level as Scientology or any number of other things, then it's no longer a Christian country. So although a head of state is still nominally the head of the Church of England, which so that's confusing. Um, maybe I'll ask you about Christianity, but I didn't want to miss the chance to ask you about Iran because you are someone who... And I'm only mentioning this but nearly an hour into the podcast. You were in an Iranian prison for two weeks, which is mental. And your uncle, I believe, was a political prisoner for four or five years. And so I wondered if coming from Iran, you had a particular insight on that, because we've just seen the U.S. at the time of recording carry out airstrikes on, well, strikes. I'm not sure what nature of strike, probably an airstrike on Iranian facilities in Syria. So is this basically world war three is iran gonna step in or what's gonna happen well i i can't um i i've said this before i can't dwell much on my short prison experience because in iran it's really nothing and as i said my own uncle did like four or five years and a, a lot of when you have been there or you come from there this is a pretty much a common experience so uh two weeks in jail is you're a pussy basically yeah, exactly. So I will, I will, you know, I will um, make a lot of people angry by, you know, trying to take any sort of street cred or, or, or you know, jail cred for that. But uh, yeah, um, of course, that is 
a big part of my background, which makes uh, my um, disappointment with the way West is going uh, all the more, you know, uh, poignant or, or pronounced because when you come and there's a lot of comedy that can be developed there, but I'll spare you for now. Uh, <laughs> and when you come from there as a, I would, I would say refugee because I was born in Europe, uh, but I lived in Iran, so I came here legally. A lot of people come here illegally or as genuine refugees, never mind fake refugees. But for those who flee the Asia Bibis of, of Iran or other Muslim countries who come here to, or Canada, wherever, only to be disappointed to see that they cannot criticize Islam uh, for fear of being, you know, cancelled or called a bigot or, you know, uh, Uncle Tom of the Muslim world, if you like. Uh, that's all the more disappointing. Now, uh, having said that, um, I think Iranian regime is wiser, knows better than to intervene in a manner that even a spineless, uh, shambolic uh, abomination of a U.S. administration that is the Biden government will have to do something about it because, as you said, it could be a major regional war, if not World War III. So I think they are, they are wiser than that. But there is a part of me that hopes they would do something because then that would, that would trigger their downfall. Because I believe that regimes or tyrannies of this degree of ruthlessness does not just, you know, go by themselves. They might crumble, but uh, obviously an external factor uh, is always useful. So, of course, they are very sad to see their proxies on whom they have spent billions of dollars throughout the years. That is Hamas, Islamic Jihad. Uh, Lebanon's Hezbollah, I mean, Israel is not going to uh, eliminate Lebanon's Hezbollah this time around because they are much bigger and it's a different front, it's in the north. But Iran is sad to see their proxies potentially being on the verge of annihilation and they want to do something about it. But then Israel has, you know, uh, no, for Israel, it's an existential matter. and They cannot sit and let this recent Hamas attack go unpunished. They have said so. They want to uh, eliminate Hamas and and Islamic Jihad in in Gaza Strip. Um, so, long story short, if Iran intervenes and opens a northern front with the help of their other proxy, Lebanese Hezbollah, then Israel will have to react. And if Iran really does target the U.S., even a spineless government such as Biden, especially near an election, you know, has to do something. Uh, you know, which would not be good for Iran. Okay, very interesting answer. We, we don't get many Iranians on, so this is a this is interesting. Yeah, interesting take that it could risk a major conflict, but at the same time, it could take out the Iranian regime. I suppose it's a bit risky. But um, what about since you did mention Christianity a few times there? So are you a are you a Catholic? I'm just uh, guessing because you're Italian. Technically, I'm not. Technically, I'm not a Catholic because once you have a Muslim father, you uh, automatically inherit that religion. There's no baptism in Islam. 
And of course, if you say anything different, uh, they will kill you. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, as I said, I was born in Italy and I feel very much Italian and I've always had a lot of sympathy for, for Christianity, Christian values and Catholicism. Now, my wife is a Catholic and uh, not not practicing, but my my children have been both baptized Christian and uh, the, the one who goes to school does go to a Catholic school. So I have a sympathy for a lot of sympathy for that, although technically I haven't been baptized myself. So, OK, you're not technically Catholic because you're tainted by birth, but you're, you're <laughs> sort of a practicing your family's Catholic. OK, OK. Um, Interesting. At least you're not an atheist. That's the key. That's the key part because they're they're banned from the podcast. But um, what do you think about while we're on this? What do you think about the family? I, I was thinking about you. I was thinking. I wonder if Nicholas would have children if you were English. I just had this weird thought that like you know because I know a lot of comedians and they're kind of weird and we, you know you're doing comedy at a fairly late age. I was thinking, would a Nicholas type person have children? I was, I was realizing it's maybe because and you said something about this that immigrants tend to have more children still and we know this the birth rates are all down in western countries although they are down in japan and korea and so on as well but i don't know i just suddenly thought do you think that's there's something in that and do you think we're in real trouble with our birth rates and with our sort of weird attack on the family in in the west and in britain yeah of course we are in trouble and i'd like to think that even in that department i'm i'm kind of doing my uh, my part i mean obviously you don't have children just to you know win the demographic war although that that war is also real so you know i'm i have been and i am in a rather precarious situation we were discussing you know the sources of income and the gig economy lockdown i left a relatively uh, actually a very much safe job which might be you know uh, the dream of a lot of people in my shoes you know um, presumably prestigious as well, because believe it or not, there are still millions of people in this country and around the world that think the BBC is, you know, the envy of the world. I don't know how, but uh, I was there 13, 12 years of my life, 40 hours, 50 hours a week. So didn't, didn't, <laughs> didn't come to that conclusion. But uh, still, I have, I have two kids because I like, you know, at some point, I think... Uh, uh that's that's what we need to do and i like having kids and i love them and uh, and i also think that yes uh, there is more to life than just being a consumer and you know ordering food and you know buying a new mobile every six months and all that and we have a responsibility so if we have a responsibility to the future generations to leave them with a good environment and fossil fuels or alternative energy or clean air and all that how come we don't have a responsibility to create that next generation you know in the first place um so yeah and of course it all gives you again more perspective so obviously having two children if i'm cancelled from a gig or if i don't get stage time with a certain club it it hurts a bit less because I have other priorities as well. And again, if I want to, you know, go all the way to this other area uh, of London through traffic, yeah, you know, it, this is this is time taking out of my uh, my family life and my, you know, playing with my kids' time. So I might as well 
do a set about something serious, hopefully funny, but you know, I'm not gonna do uh, you know airline food or 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 or, or Tinder because there's somebody else who's doing it and probably is funnier than me. So so makes I also have to kind of run the number of my gigs by my wife because somebody has to be you know looking at like tonight she's out with them. So it's it's all that. So it gives you all the more you know reason to be picky in terms of your your material because at the end of the day you're not getting this time back. So it might as well be something that people say, oh okay, glad I I I, I didn't think about it that way. Or thank you for, you know, you know, they come to you after the gig or in the in the interval and saying, okay, I, maybe I didn't laugh too much because of my girlfriend next to me or, you know, because of the colleagues or whatever. But I'm glad you said those things and I, I think like you. So I think those are the best feedback you, you receive. Yeah, it's true. And I do, I do get that for this podcast as well and the GB stuff So and my other podcast. So that is nice. And um, people say, you know, you're speaking out because we can't. I'm just one of these people who can't help but speak out apparently. And although it's never enough for some people, the ones that constantly want me to walk out of GB news every five minutes because of some presenter left that they like or got sacked, which is annoying. But, but do you have a, so do you have a take on the birth rate thing? Because I was at a debate the other night with uh, David Aronovich and Matt Goodwin and Aronovich made this very sort of disdainful comment towards the end. He said, Oh, and this man, meaning Goodwin wants you to have more babies. And he said it was like, it was like a big, joke and it's like well yeah i mean you phrase it in a sort of comedic way but we do need more babies so what's gonna happen and 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 people have pointed out experts on this that immigration is only a short-term fix for it but have you actually heard any successful policy for how to improve birth rate you know given that immigration is only short term and given that so many countries need to do it have you actually heard any policy that's going to work um, well, I mean, we all know what policies are gonna work. Uh, the question is who is who is applying them. I I haven't been keeping very close tabs on this, but in Italy now we have a female prime minister, by the way, who obviously wasn't uh, too much to the liking of the feminists. A very conservative, uh, identitarian um, prime minister in Georgia, Meloni, and they were going in that direction. I don't know. How many of those policies have been applied? And obviously, she's had a lot of uh, things on her hands, uh, especially the question of immigration from 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 Africa and the borders and all that. I'm, I'm sure you're aware of that. But the government, any government, must make it uh, easier for people to have families, uh, to to have children, rather than making it actually more more difficult. You know, if you if you compare, and this is not you know rocket science. If, if you look other countries, Scandinavian countries, or or even places like Germany, Austria, even uh, in terms of maternity leave, in terms of uh, kindergarten or 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 nursery vouchers or or subsidies, um, tax cuts for for people who get married. Sometimes it's the other way around. Actually, sometimes you're kind of you're kind of punished. You know, for having children, which is which is crazy, and and I don't think even immigration is a fix, as we just discussed, because immigration they, they tell us, okay, we are bringing in it, it becomes a chicken and egg situation. We are bringing in the immigrants because uh, native mothers don't have kids or as many kids. But first of all, 
Whose fault is that? Because you've been bombarding them with feminism and with all these lies, and you 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 pay their um, IVF at the taxpayers' expense. So they think, okay, when I maybe when I get forty, I'll I'll give it a go uh, on the NHS, right? And and there are campaigns for them to make it even you know easier to make give it also to you know same same sex couples, but that's another story. But what you should tell people is that, you know, at some age, you need to have kids because it's a natural thing to do. And because we need the kids uh, also for economic reasons to pay into the pension and everything. And guess what? Millions of people we import from outside, presuming that they come to work and they do work and they contribute. And that's that's debatable. They might end up, you know, demonstrating for Hamas on our streets. As an outsider then to Britain, I don't mean that as a pejorative outsider, but uh, someone obviously coming from another country, what is your perception of Britain? Because I often ask, or England, whichever you prefer, I often ask the guest, is Britain finished? Which is my kind of pessimistic question. And I've had some quite optimistic answers and some very pessimistic. What do you think about that? Well, I want to have, I mean, as long as it's free, uh, I mean, as long as... uh, it's free of charge. Let's let's be optimistic, right? Obviously, we and throughout this discussion, there are, there's a lot to make us, you know, um, despair. But if if Britain is finished, and I always see it a, a bit more, you know, uh, globally, because of my italian background and because my wife is austrian and because i love america as well and follow american politics as well if 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 we are finished then there would be no point in doing what i'm doing or what you are doing right uh it is true that we want to we want not to go down without the fight but we also don't want to you know go down necessarily ideally we, we want to win this so you and i and i uh, appreciate that recently in Poland they have you know elected um, the the European Union's uh, favorite guy and, and the Conservatives have lost that election. But there are a lot of positive signs. We we with Brexit, with despite all the confusion, with Trump, with the Italian government, uh, with 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 the Swedish elections recently, very good gains for. AFD um, alternative for Deutschland in in regional uh, state elections in in Germany, um, so that's that's that part of it, and then with um, efforts that uh, people like I mean I'm myself in a in a much smaller version, but you know the success of your podcast and similar outlets and podcasts and and alternative media both in the UK. And in the U.S., uh, more mainstream like GB News. I don't know if you can call GB News uh, mainstream, but also non-traditional uh, means such as podcasts, uh, YouTube, uh, or elsewhere, other platforms, especially other platforms. This means that we are creating content and we are uh, creating alternative channels for people to get together to organize themselves to express themselves and in a way it might be argued it is sad because the society is becoming more polarized but again whose fault is that you know 
they try to banish us from everywhere. Okay, you cancel us from from gigs or from Edinburgh. We go and make uh, money and search for fame on YouTube or or wherever. So I think there are, there is reason for hope, and uh, and God bless Eastern European countries. Despite this recent uh, election results in in Poland, uh, that are telling you know the. The globalist overlords, yeah, if, if diversity and multiculturalism is what we see in Birmingham and Manchester or, or Luton or Leicester, uh, no thank you. We will, we will keep our traditions and we will keep our population the way it is. So, so let's see what, again, the BBC cliche, uh, time will tell. But, but if, 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 if both of them are free of charge, I'll, I'll take optimism. Well, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, I wonder if if what I do makes any difference. But it's it's just you just sort of do what you have to do or what you feel you must do anyway. Though I have sometimes thought, if I had the requisite skills, would I just get out of the culture war and do business or something? Because sometimes I watch videos about that. People saying like, you know, why are you just howling into the void? You should just go and make money because we have the best technology we've ever had and so on. But I, I don't think I could do that. I'm just this is who I am. I'm sort of stuck doing this. Even if it's futile, um, yeah, you got to be true to your, you got to be true to yourself. Never yeah. mind that even in the business world, the culture world catches up with you, right? But yeah. even even this, uh, discounting that, you are the artistic type. You have a conscience. You have a you have a soul that is you know sensible or sensitive to what happens around it. So it's not it's not that easy to switch all that off and go and you know manufacture something. With, with with all due respect, we need that too. Um, but 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 yeah, this is you 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 got to be true to yourself again. Yeah, as a, even as a Christian concept. Yeah, that seems to be how it is. And so you may have already answered it, but but how do we then win the culture war? Um, well, yeah, I might. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, as I said, uh, maybe maybe I can build on that. Uh, we need to come up. We need to fight back. We need to be, uh, and again, this is a cliche, but, but, but children are the future. But first of all, we need to make children. <laughs> and secondly, we need to protect the children from this indoctrination. And there are some good signs that, uh, I don't know what, 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 what letter now is, is Gen Z or Gen X or whatever, but the post-millennials are a bit wiser than the, than the millennials uh, themselves. Um, we see what the education is doing to these kids. Uh, we see what universities are doing. They, they get into debt and learn nothing. And even worse, they learn terrible stuff. So we need to create alternative channels, uh, even if it means, you know, people like Daily Wire in the U.S., not just they, 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 they create content, but they also came up with their own razor brand and now chocolate brand, you know. Uh, we may have to come up with our own gyms or restaurants because that's what happened because there was this movement of you know go to the restaurant and and harass the republican who dies there you know this this by by a u.s congresswoman no less this was maxine recorded. waters yeah. i remember i think so yeah or or let's boycott this gym chain because one of the people on the board is a Republican donor. Never mind that if you boycott that, gym workers like you know ordinary people will lose their jobs. But so, uh, and and we see this 
you know, uh, social media alternative platforms are taking off and uh, somehow it was slowed down because Elon Musk uh, took over Twitter. Uh, thank God for that. But but at the end of the day, we need to be a bit bolder and, and braver. And and of course, it, it has a price, but, but it's a war. So... So I think eventually the 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 the, the trick is to just uh, pay the price. Maybe we need a bit more. To, we need to be a bit more organized, a bit more convinced, and of course, uh, conservative values or mindset sometimes doesn't lend itself to a lot of organization necessarily. Uh, or a lot of you know compact action because well part of it I say it as a joke but there's truth to that because a lot of people who vote conservative or who are conservative actually have real jobs you know no disrespect to ourselves but they they produce stuff they manufacture stuff they they are farmers you know they, you need to do stuff you can't just be campaigning and marching all the time. Uh, although the Dutch farmers set the example, or the Canadian truck drivers as well, but we have families, uh, and we have actual jobs, and also again being conservative, maybe we believe that yeah, the market sorts itself out, you know, offer and demand. No, it's it's not like that. You know, a few years ago we believed yeah, you know, these uh, uni graduates, lefties, woke lefty graduates go to the corporate world and they see what the real world is. No, no, no. They are changing the corporate world in their own image and likeness. So that didn't work out, did it? Uh, so we need to be a bit more more proactive and more aggressive and also more more united. Just the way, I mean, if, if and again, if I'm allowed to have a joke, I say, Jesus Christ said, forgive the Father, they know not what they are doing. And from that, we learned to forgive feminists who like Islam. And today, if I want to update that, we 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 learned to forgive queers for Palestine or queers for Hamas. Now, if these people can find common grounds, uh, 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 admittedly because of their ardent hatred of the West, okay, but for whatever you know, nefarious reason. If these people can get united, why can't we, you know, why can't we, Christian, even atheists, but atheists who do have some sense, might not, might might rather live in a Christian country than in, a, in an Islamic caliphate, right? So, so we need to we need to be able be be better at networking and 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 put aside petty, you know, rivalry, high level. Be it U.S. Congress on the or the Tory Party, the grassroots level fellow comedians, you know, we need to or, or content creators, we need to just cooperate and 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 uh, you know, uh, strength is in unity. Absolutely, great answer. We need to follow the example of Queers for Palestine, and they can come together mm-hmm. in that brief moment before they get thrown off the roof. Then surely exactly. we can come together. Ending on a joke as well, which is the comedian in you, which is great. And a, and a strange and a, and a great positive of uh, you basically said I believe the children are our future. I thought you were going to break out into song at that point, but um, <laughs> but um, 
and by the way, it is a real job when you've got when you've gone and done six TV shows in a week and produced two podcasts where you have to come up with all the topics yourself and research the guests. I've realised now that is a real job because I'm working so much. I'm like I'm basically a farmer of content. But um, <laughs> but there was one other thing I wanted to come back on. Uh, there were so many things there. Oh well, I can't remember. We, we definitely need to build things though. You're absolutely right. And I think there is more and more folks on that, and now people are realising that, as you say, Daily Wire. Others, oh, me and Toby doing our little thing. There's a lot of people realizing we've got to build our own stuff. And like you say, yeah, it's going to come down to our own everything, probably a whole parallel economy, weirdly, of the kind Malcolm X kind of talked about. We'll be there with our own shops and gyms, like you're saying. It's weird, but maybe that's how it has to be if they're going to keep canceling us. Yeah. Because we need to make it costly. Again, uh, why do you think? Because you watch, again, and there's so much comedy in that. And I sometimes have jokes about that as well. But when you look at all this woke advertising, where where always the the, the stupid guy is white, where, where always the thief is a white guy, and every family is interracial. Do you think all this this nonsense, uh, the companies or the corporations don't know is just ridiculous, or is over the top, or is somehow uh, insulting? I think they do know, but at the end of the day, the typical conservative consumer um, is less, you know, um, vicious or less likely to boycott. And as I said, has a family, has to look at the price tag maybe more than the, you know, uh, woke commercial, which is uh, insulting or or um, unrealistic. Um, and again, they believe in the, you know free market and free economy and offer and demand you know sort itself out the, the, the invisible hand of the free market whatever that is uh, but then at some point we need to say you know enough is enough and hence and thankfully another recent trend we saw what happened with target after they came up with these swimming costumes which were you know gender fluid and they had a pockets for little boys to hide their penises and and all that nonsense and they had a huge backlash so so if if people if lefties can do that we should do that as well we should tell you know the the the, the manufacturer the producer the supermarket chain whoever it is if you you know, insult me or treat me as an idiot. Uh, and you cannot expect at the same time to have my money. You know, I'll take my business elsewhere, not just watching, you know, content, but also shopping for groceries or going to restaurants or gyms, whatever that is. Absolutely. And we are seeing the signs of this now. Uh, Coca-Cola removed any reference of BLM from their website. Victoria's Secret said we're going back to having actually attractive women again. <laughs> that was interesting. Unilever said we're going to stop virtue signaling. So there are signs. And on the on the on the artistic side, I always I keep saying the hero's journey is inherently far closer to, to conservatism than it is to leftism, and it's it's it, because it's close to reality. It's an essential reality that it represents. So all these great movies about uh, you know a man's struggle, any sort of Clint Eastwood movie, Star Wars. John Wick, almost anything you can name is far more conservative than it, than it is. And when you try and do a leftist movie, it doesn't work. And mm. South Park has just put out a couple of brilliant parodies of this as we record. There was one about this uh, woman who keeps going to the panda stone and pandering to her audience. And the more she goes to it, the more the weaker the movies get. And then eventually it gets crazy and it releases like d- demons from another dimension. And um, 
Yeah, the South Park have actually just destroyed this stuff. Yeah, I need so, to yeah. watch that for sure. Yeah, yeah. There's two great clips. One's with Cartman saying that everyone's in his school has turned diverse and like suddenly Kenny's like a lesbian or something. It's, it, that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And there's another one as well. So you've got to watch those. But yeah, all right. Awesome answer. So many interesting things in that episode. Thanks so much for doing it. Where can people find you, Nicholas? Well, thanks very much for having me. My YouTube channel is called Anglo-Italian Comedy. And I'm also on Rumble with the same name, uh, far uh, fewer uh, subscribers or followers, Anglo-Italian Comedy. And on Twitter, I am at Nico DeSanto, Nico underscore DeSanto. Uh, and I think on Instagram, I'm at Nicholas underscore DeSanto. So if people uh, want to follow me, they can follow me on any of those platforms. All right. Awesome. Thanks, mate. See you in a bit. Thank you. Good to talk to you.